Hello, welcome to the second episode of the Roll On, Roll Off pod. Today we interview Captain Apostolos Kaknes from Greece, who joins us from China. Welcome, Captain Apostolos. Good evening from China. We'd just like to ask you, firstly, uh, what uh, started your interest in uh, in ferries and shipping in general? Uh, you know, I was born in the island of Lesbos, which is the third biggest island in Greece. And uh, from my early, let's say, childhood, I was traveling with uh, local ferries during the summertime or my when I had my school vacations, my holidays. So from as long as I remember myself, I was crazy about the ships. And it was my best time when uh, uh, was the day that I was sailing from Piraeus to my island. Yeah, so... I follow this interest and I end up to make it like a profession. And so you always had ambitions uh, to become a captain? Yes, yes. Actually, even uh, when I was maybe seven or eight years old, uh, I had an uncle in my island who has a, a small fishing boat and I was so, so crazy to drive it. And uh, one day I... I get, you know, a present from uh, my uncle, who was a local fisherman, who created by his uh, hand a diploma, a certificate that I was the captain of his boat. So you can understand from my early stages, uh, uh, my, my dream is to become a captain. Very good. What was your first vessel that, that you sailed on as a cadet? As a cadet, uh, was a former Australian Navy ship, the Agios Andreas, for a short period. 1998, I was there for just a half a month. Uh, unfortunately, the vessel uh, stopped for some repairs, and uh, later I moved on Theophilos. Of course, from yes. uh, Nils Holgersson, Abel Tasman, and so on. Yeah, I see. And so, how many years did it take? You know, going through, I guess, multiple ships to to finally become a captain. Uh, my first vessel actually was in uh, 2014, 2013 actually. It was yeah. a, a small uh, research vessel, a former uh, American Navy ship, which was bought, uh, bought from uh, a Greek company in order to make uh, surveys. The name was uh, Med Surveyor, and mm-hmm. it was my first uh, small ship. After again, I went uh, like a staff captain to some cruise ships, to some passenger ships. And finally, let's say two years ago, my company promoted me to from staff captain to captain. Very good. So um, during that time that uh, you, know, you were going through your cadetship and moving up through the ranks, you worked on quite a lot of Greek ferries. Yes. Of all these vessels, do you have any particular favorites? I can say the first, my first ships always will be, you know, in the in in my heart, because when you are getting your first steps and you have your first knowledge, you know, you are going to remember uh, always in your life, because this is the first uh, knowledge, the first experiences, the difficult experience. You become from a teenager uh, immediately. You should be a man. Uh, in a really very tough situation to deal up with uh, some seamen who are many years already on the ships mm-hmm. and uh, you are still a kid 
uh, who is trying to fulfill his dreams. So for me, I can say that uh, one of my favorite ships was uh, Sub-4, the former Sparrow, because it was, let's say, almost the first ship that I sailed like a, like, a, like a kid. So on this ship, from after many, many voyages like a passenger, I end up to become uh, a cadet. Yeah, right. And so any other particular ones that you like? Um, you know... Uh, that um, I like so very much the, um, the Japanese ferries. So mm-hmm. I was lucky in my career to uh, to work on, uh, on about 10. I think 10 of them uh, was in my career with the best of, of them to be the Ariadne mm-hmm. and Gian uh, Heaven, the high-speed rover vessel. Oh, yeah. Very good. Is there uh, is there any uh, particular reason to why you uh, why you like the Japanese ferries so much? Could you de- try to define that a little bit? Is it uh, for technical reasons or just uh, by the way they look or anything else? I can say that I like the design of uh, Japanese ferries. Even though that my childhood, the first Japanese ferries who came in Greece, they have a very odd design. And for sure, the European ones was, say, more nicer, more nice to be, you know, the design of them was, was beautiful ships, the, the European ones. And the first Japanese ferry was not quite nice. And the Greeks, they are trying to maximize their capacity, adding a lot of superstructures. I can say that the later generator, generations was, you know, quite nice and very reliable. Uh, fast, most of them are fast, and uh, very, very good uh, tools to work with. In terms of uh, navigation equipment, or um, well, uh, how would you define tools? I can say, you know, machinery, you know, the Japanese, uh, whatever Japanese equipment uh, is uh, considered like a durable. Doesn't break, doesn't uh, have problems, it's like the cars how we are saying about Toyotas and Hondas and all this. Uh, it's similar with the Japanese ferries because all of them was built, uh, you know, very good quality. And I can say that uh, the Greeks, because later on they converted into, to, let's say, European standard ferries, was uh, looked also very, very modern. Even most of them was maybe 15 or 20 years old already. The Greeks converting them to some to a modern ferry. Yeah, that's something we've seen in uh, the last decades, uh, maybe even longer. That the the Greeks are converting former Japanese ferries in Parama, trying to make them a little bit more modern in design. And I assume that must, you know, after all, a, a profitable profitable business in doing that, because otherwise they would have. Uh, aimed for second-hand European ferries instead, so it must be it must be uh, economically uh, viable to do so. Yes, I don't know exactly the the volumes and the economics of uh, such a conversion. For sure, it's not a cheap one, but uh, I believe that um, the Japanese ferries, especially the later generations, had a huge capacity in the garage. And also, they was fulfilling some stability requirements more easier than uh, some European ferries. Um, so it was easy to add uh, superstructures, easy to add cabins, 
and uh, they was using the knowledge of uh, the Greek um, companies who are you know, extremely specialized on the repairs, on conversions, on the, you know, steel work and machinery work. So with some, let's say, with a good, let's say, amount of money, they was getting a very high capacity vessel with a very good speed and um, low um, consumption of fuel. Really, the Japanese ferries, they are very good on uh, consumption. Somehow that works. That means it was profitable for them. Uh, I can remember from one of the conversations we had, uh, written conversations in the group, that you did some comments on uh, one ship that you had sailed on in the past, which had uh, quite an impressive uh, main machinery, although I forgot which one... It was, but uh, I do remember that you said so, that uh, that one had a really powerful machinery. The most powerful vessel was the Gian Hever, was the Sunflower Tomakomai, which had um, in total 64,000 uh, horsepower. And uh, really, with that vessel, uh, I have achieved, the um, was a 200-meter-long vessel, and uh, I have uh, reached a speed of uh, 32.8 knots in Gibraltar Strait. was uh, quite uh, impressive. A huge vessel full with uh, trucks and cargo and containers to achieve this uh, kind of speed. Wow, that's, uh, that, 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 that's really impressive. It, it sounds like a, quite a long voyage for, for a Greek vessel, though. Was it a special voyage? We was charted in um, Spain between Canary Islands and Cadiz or Barcelona uh, for Axiona Transmetaranea on that time. We was not uh, in Greek waters. We was under a charter in Spanish waters, let's say. Uh, one thing you mentioned here during the discussion was that you said they had a good freighting take. Uh, I suppose that is mainly in terms of private cars because. Typically, uh, what I'm used to is that uh, uh, old Japanese ferries have quite a low restricted uh, full height, meaning that they can have a problem to accommodate the kind of trucks that we have in Northern Europe, which has made them not so attractive on the second-hand market. But with what I said, could you say something about the typical cargo mix uh, for Greek ferries from the mainland uh, of Greece to the islands? Is it... Uh, much different to what you have experienced in, in other corners of the world, so to say. Yes, this is a reality. Uh, majority of the Japanese ferries have a height restriction. Um, most of them, especially the old ones, was uh, they had the maximum height on the garage 4.2, which for the European trucks, it's, you know, almost on the limits. And, uh, you know, it was a really, really difficult job uh, to to perform the loading. I remember I was working on the Crete 1, uh, under Klein's vessel in Patra to Venice, and I uh, was chief officer at that time, and my duty was to run outside on the parking areas to, with my, you know, my eye calculation to find and split the trucks into groups and the staff captain, the bosun was calling me and he was calling and saying, you know, I need the short one, I need the medium one, I need the high one, because they knew the the lines of the vessel, which had, you know, the, the, the height they wanted. So really was a big challenge. But I can say the, the last generation 
fairies like Ariadne, like Blue Galaxy, they have all of them 4.5. And particularly this uh, Roro Vessel, the Gian Heaven, uh, one of the major works they have done in Greece was to increase the height of garage by 30 centimeters, was originally 4.2, and they made it 4.5, cutting, I can say, the frames and adding new ones. To And it was a really an impressive job, uh, which was, you know, end up um, quite good, uh, which uh, because we was uh, working in Europe, let's say, in uh, international voyage between Canary Islands and uh, mainland of Spain with no any problem. Uh, I can say that the last generation, the Japanese ferries, they don't have any more the problem with the height of the garage. Of course, we need to, re- to forget any double stacking or whatever, uh, you know, we can see on the, some European ferries with some heights of four, 5.5 or some, maybe some of them higher. But uh, the, the last one, they don't have this kind of problem. So it sounds like uh, the future Japanese ferries might as well end up in, in Greece in the future when, uh, when they're on the second-hand market then. Yes, yes. So, uh, already I have heard that, uh, you know, some later generation of Japanese ferries supposed to come in Greece. Uh, I think one of them was bought by Stena. I'm not quite sure. One of them let's say, new Japanese ferries. And suppose last year to come in Parama to have some conversion to meet the European standards. But I don't know what happened. Maybe the coronavirus pandemic changed the plans about that. I did hear that the, the Stenanova, I heard that they've uh, put it for sale now. Maybe we should uh, continue with that uh, question. Yeah. And just to, to, to give uh, any listeners a little background uh, for this question. Stena Line ordered uh, four vessels in Poland in 1979. Eventually only two of those vessels were uh, completed for Stena uh, in 1987 and 1988. The fourth vessel was never really completed anywhere, but the third vessel was towed to Greece and completed in 1992 as the El Venizelos. And uh, yeah, could you, you share your thoughts on that vessel from a, a Greek perspective? Uh, uh, if you know anything from from the moment she arrived until she was completed, and and also her time in service. Yes, I was lucky also to work on that vessel for about uh, for a contract for about four months, for five months like that. Very nice vessel, very very good vessel uh, with a huge capacity of cars, has a uh, hoistable decks. For cars and under the main deck have another small deck garage. Huge amount of beds. I think it has about 1,500 and something like that beds. Uh, huge um, public areas. And the work that was done in Greece was quite impressive. And recently they made one more, let's say, renovation on the public spaces. They made some, you know, a major upgrade on the hotel area. The vessel, as far as I remember, because I was a kid at that time, was towed uh, in Greece. Just the hull was there. All the machinery, all the equipment was in the garage, was not installed. And the, let's say the finish uh, of the vessel was done, the completion was done in Perama. Uh, engine installation, engine alignment, 
propellers, rudders, piping, generators. Everything was done in Greece. Public areas, hotel, cabins, everything was built in Greece. And uh, um, at that time was uh, the most impressive and the biggest vessel in Greece and uh, with a title that remained for many years even you know, I think even now it's one of the biggest in Greece or the biggest. Yeah, uh, I had the pleasure as a uh, nine-year-old kid to visit the Stena Yamonica, the first one in the series when she arrived. So that made uh, on me that made a, a huge impression. So I guess the, the third vessel made similar impression on you then. <laughs> uh, I was, you know, was very nice about me. And the, the, the biggest, let's say, surprise was the capacity of cars. More, more was, uh, the capacity is uh, more than 600 cars. And uh, we was working from Piraeus to Crete. And they was telling us that uh, when the last car was coming outside from the garage, the first car was already arrived maybe 150 kilometers uh, from the port. We was uh, having a lot of time, you know, until uh, completion and of the loading and discharging, you know, was a really high capacity vessel. Uh, I can remember that um, unlike the two Swedish, uh, the first couple of vessels, uh, cargo excess equipment was uh, altered a little bit on the third one. So instead of having two big side doors and fixed ramps on the key, she had an internal ramp and no bow doors. So... Uh, did she also uh, accommodate trucks on the upper deck, or was that uh, completely for for private cars? No, no. On the on the upper deck, I can say on the sides. On the sides was one line on each side, which supposed to be for the cars. Uh, had the passenger cabins, so it was not the same capacity of the lower deck with the upper deck. But had a lot of space for uh, trucks also in the upper deck. Sluable um, car decks which was lowered and which was boosting the capacity incredible number numbers. Would you say that she was or still is freight capacity-wise too big for this Greek market or is she is there still a, a place for for vessel of that vessels of that size in in Greece? Um I can say with the present situation I don't know what kind of vessel it fits already 90% of the scheduled voyage is cancelled only few of the ships is working and with uh, you know with some strange itineraries they they try to mix a lot of routes in one but uh, i believe in the future um, ships like venizelos or even bigger one have uh, space especially on the crete island which uh, needs a lot of cargo capacity daily sometimes we during the summer time we was uh, doing a double let's say voyage in the daytime was usually was uh, using the vessel for um, cars and passengers with some nice discounts from the company and during the night voyage again of course a lot of people were wanted to travel with us but um, especially the main deck was full uh, with uh, trucks uh, thinking here that maybe uh, Mitch should uh, go on and ask you some some questions here um i'd like Hello. to uh, to just talk a little bit about um, the Theophilus, which, of course, uh -huh. uh, you, you served on board. 
and uh, maybe you could share some stories uh, of your time on board. Theophilus was and is one of my favorites. I spent many, let's say, voyages like he did uh, as a passenger. Mm-hmm. And I worked on her uh, three times, twice like a cadet, and finally as a second officer for uh, some short period. What can I say? You know, it was really very tough for me, especially the first uh, time, because unfortunately at that time, some company, some people was not respecting so much the cadets. And even I was a deck cadet supposed to be on the bridge, supposed to be on the deck to get some experience. They was, uh, let's say, send me instead of working on deck to send on the cabins, on the galley. You know, it was uh, really very, very difficult for me because uh, I was working from early morning till night on the hotel area, like a steward, like an assistant. And later on, because I was really very crazy about my job, about my school, about my about the ship, I was going uh, the entire night on the bridge to the point where is the where the officers was pushing me. They was kicking me outside from the bridge in order to get some two or three hours rest in order to cope with the demands of the following day. But uh, really, was very a very big experience for me. I I learned a lot of things from the, those people, even some this some experience was not you know comfortable for me uh, i end up to sign off uh, 68 kilos and uh, we, uh, really was very hard for me uh, the second time was much better for me because because you know i have already taken my my diploma from uh, my academy and just I wanted for uh, some short period to work a little bit on the ship to get some money after my academy and was better. The third time I was second officer after maybe two or three years after my graduation. And uh, I stayed there, unfortunately, for some short period because after they moved me to another vessel of the company, the uh, Mitilini. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I fulfilled one of my kids' dream to become officer on Theophilos. It was a really very nice ship. I I loved it. I had good time and bad time on board. It uh, will be one of the ships that I will never forget. Very good, yeah. And, of course, um, I think during its time there in Greece, a lot of the uh, the Tasmanian heritage was still on board, wasn't it? They still had the Devil's Kitchen. Yes, yes. And the Roaring yes, 40s. Yes. And uh, yeah, a lot of the, a lot of names, a lot of, you know, some paintings, even, you know, the You Are Here signs. Some of them, you know, was came originally even from the, you know, the time Neil. when it was in Europe, like uh, Neil Holgerson. Yeah, yeah. And also during the time in Australia. It was a, a very funny mixture because the vessel was, you know, in some parts was looked like a modern because there was done some works in Greece. After you was walking in a corridor, you were seeing some a different vessel, more dark colors, more, let's say, 70s style. And after you was moving to some other area, it was a little bit more Australian, 80s, I can say, 90s. And, you know, it was a, a bit of mixture. It was, you know... Uh, when you was walking inside the vessel, clearly you can see the history. Uh, you can see, you know, where was the vessel before. Easily, you can understand. Especially had a fantastic painting on uh, the main, let's say, passenger area. 
with a public area where was uh, Nils Hogerson um, and the other TT line vessels, you know, have, you know, the, the map, the vessels, you know, was, you know, and you can understand uh, where was the vessel before. Mm-hmm. It must have been really good to, um, to be on board. And um, how were the, the engines? Did they have, over the period of time, were they reliable? Or was it uh, the, the peel-stick engines require a lot of maintenance? You know, in general, peel-stick engines are, was not so popular in the past years. But somehow, uh, a lot of European makers, European shipyards, was using the peel-stick engines because it was very easy to maintain. Mm-hmm. Peel-stick engines are really very good engines, but you should keep strictly the maintenance schedules and you should uh, use all the time original spares. Unfortunately, the Greek companies they were trying to maximize their running hours and uh, sometimes they were using not uh, original parts. That's why somehow, especially the European ferries, after some time in Greece, they was losing a lot of their power, I can say, and was facing a lot of uh, problems. Thank uh, God uh, a lot of engineers was, let's say, specialized on pillstick, and uh, the vessel was running, you know, even with a lower speeds, for uh, many years, even without uh, proper spares, with the proper maintenance. was, you know, very lucky that also the Japanese has uh, and have, still have a lot of them, pillstick engines. So there was uh, not a lot of experience and knowledge between the Greek engineers and uh, somehow they was dealing up with the problems. Unfortunately, Theophilos had a lot of problems because the company... The company from my island did not end up good on their economics and uh, they was facing a lot of problems uh, reflecting to the maintenance of the vessels. Mm. And uh, recently the vessel uh, had uh, a lot of problems on the engines, let's say, area, on the air conditioning area. Uh, it was really very sad to see this very nice vessel to end up on this situation. Yeah, because I read some reports on the internet where people had said towards the end of her career that she was one of the worst worst ship ferries in Greece at the time, you know, because, you know, towards the end there, more of the Blue Star ferries and Hellenic Seaways and, and those sorts of ships were in service and the old Theophilus was still was still going, but not in very good repair and hadn't, hadn't had uh, much money spent. I, I can say that be, inside me, I believe that uh, the ships like Theophilos are very uh, ideal and uh, better than many newer vessels. The problem is that they become very popular in Greece. The ships to be extremely high speed was a, a really huge mistake, in my opinion, because they boost small ships to run with 25, 26, even higher uh, knot speed, which for me is completely a mistake because uh, the vessels uh, are small, they don't have a high cargo capacity, and the consumption of uh, fuel is really very high, especially recently uh, where the environmental regulations was uh, activated. Those vessels, you know, really they were struggling because the use of uh, low sulfur fuels 
are you know, making them completely unprofitable. That's why the Greek people did not uh, like the Theophilos because, okay, when the vessel is doing 15 or 16 knots and the next one is doing 26 and can do almost the half time from Theophilos, for sure the people were, is going to, uh, to complain. Mm. They are, for me, it's something, you know, become modern, the vessel to run very fast. That caused a lot of problems. And nowadays, the passengers are complaining when the companies decide to reduce a bit the speed in order to cope up to cope, uh, with the economics. It's something I, I hope soon will change. And the companies lower more the speeds uh, in order to be first profitable, secondary safe, and third to be more uh, better for the crew. Because really I have worked with, with a high-speed vessel, the Blue Star Naxos, and really uh, even the vessel is uh, really modern and very, very good uh, condition. And uh, it's a really very very difficult for the crew to work uh, on this. When the vessel is doing 23 knots or 24 knots and uh, the distance between the ports is one hour or 50 minutes or one hour and 20 minutes and there is no time for rest, there is no time for um, for maintenance and everybody should run completely day and night to cope with the demands. Yeah, right. And so that um, sort of brings me to the next question is... Uh, the Greek ferry industry as a whole, you know, I think after the um, the Express Samina accident back in 2000 has has seen a lot of new vessels, uh, new tonnage come on board with the likes of Attica. Do you believe that the uh, the safety standards of Greek ferries is uh, is very good, or is there room for improvement? Always there uh, there is room for improvement, and uh, we should always try to find uh, ways to improve uh, our safety culture. Uh, unfortunately, the problem in Greece is not the ships or the seamen or the companies. The really huge problem are the ports. The majority of the ports in Greek islands uh, are not safe. In Greece, they are considering a port when some blocks of seamen are just put in some in one gulf without taking consideration the weather uh, conditions, uh, without uh, having some, you know, some modern way of feeding ports, like in North Europe, like even in Mediterranean now, even in Italy, the ports are much, much better than the Greek ones. You know very well that um, 99% of the ships are not uh, doing, you know, a side, a, you know, berthing stern to side, the, we are using the anchors and uh, with a really, you know, challenging um, weather conditions. Uh, we know that in Greece, uh, the winds is, are blowing year-wide all the time, especially in the summertime. Uh, we are lucky to have a very nice summer with some fresh breeze blowing all day, but uh, this fresh breeze in some islands is extremely uh, violent. And imagine uh, with uh, some uh, turnarounds uh, time of uh, 20 minutes, the captains uh, should perform extremely high speed maneuverings, which uh, some uh, European friends are telling me that is completely unsafe. 
but for us uh, it's uh, something you know a daily routine so for me the problem are the ports uh, for sure there are a lot a lot of there space for improvement and we should improve ourselves the ships should be safer the people should have uh, additional training and additional rest because it's another problem in, in greek industry of uh, the ferries the the seamen are not getting the proper rest they are pushed and forced to work uh, 16 or 18 hours per day uh, without a second crew on the port like uh, many times happen in europe when uh, the schedule are very tight in greece uh, the people should work for many months on board the vessels and for many many hours uh, i remember myself when i was uh, an officer the minimum uh, working time was 12 or 14 hours it, it, it's, wow. it's impossible to work less really this is, was very challenging and uh, consider at the same time to have um, some ports uh, in some small and tiny islands where it's really very challenging it's not only for the captain because the the, the, the ship is not uh, operating only by captain Imagine everybody uh, from the people from the deck, from the engineers who should have the engines in um, perfect condition. So the captain should make some, you know, really strong maneuvering. Everybody should work, uh, you know, a lot. And it's a, a stressful situation for everybody on board. So for me, uh, Greece, Greece should do something about the ports, not especially mm. about the ships. Oh, fair enough. Yep, no, that sounds pretty good. I've obviously been to Greece a couple of times and seen the manoeuvres that you speak of, and it's quite um, quite amazing to see the speed in which uh, the manoeuvres in the port are done. You know, here, you know, it takes forever. It seems to slowly manoeuvre the ship in, and whereas there, you, you arrive, and before you know, the people are getting off, and the tires are coming on, and yes. and yeah, twenty minutes later, yes, yes. you're on on the go again. 20 minutes sometimes is too much. Maybe sometimes you have five minutes. Yeah. And, you know, also this is an, another problem coming, I don't know, from the ministry. Sorry, about with the companies. I don't know who is pushing everybody to have so, so tight schedule. It's impossible a vessel to have 20 minutes turnover in one port, even, you know, intermediate port. When the, the captain will do the maneuvering, When they are going to have, you know, safe berthing, when the procedures is going to be done, when the discharge will start, when the passenger will come down, when the other one who is waiting outside will come inside in 20 minutes. You can mm. understand that everything going to the limits. And some accident, few accidents that happened, you know, in the past years, in my opinion, is, is uh, happened from the, this uh, situation, the tight schedules between the ports okay as faster you can you uh, you will do it's more profitable for the company but i don't believe that the companies they like to put in danger their ships i think this is you know a, a general you know um, mentality in a general you know way of thinking that uh, okay 20 minutes is enough uh, sorry 20 minutes is not enough and uh, they are pushing everybody to work on this you know high-speed situation, and we have, uh, I have received many, let's say, comments, bad comments from my colleagues 
the European or the, around the world that, you know, we are unsafe with this kind of uh, maneuvering, with this kind of uh, way of uh, doing the maneuvering. But when you are forced to work on this kind of ports with so tight schedule, you should do it fast. Otherwise, another person will wait you in the next port and mm. everybody should work. And we grow up with this situation. Uh, this is a reality. We grow up seeing the other captains doing extremely fast. So somehow become like a competition uh, between the captains in Greece, who is going to perform the faster and the most, let's say, wow maneuver between yeah. between them. Yeah. In uh, the mid-90s and onwards uh, until the... Uh... Uh, beginning of the century, we saw some shipping companies, uh, the Attica Group in particular, with the superfast vessels being built. And they built not only new vessels, but they built state-of-the-art vessels at various northern European shipyards. Uh, first off, I, w- I would like to ask, how was that achieved by people like you in, in Greece? Because that was a, a completely new trend, seeing brand new state-of-the-art ferries in Greece that had for so long time been working with second-hand ferries? The the response from that question is just one name. The name is Pericles Panagopoulos. This is the person who boost, who forced everybody to look forward and build this kind of vessel. He was the owner of Attica Group, of Superfast Ferries. He was... Uh, I say the most enlightened person in the ferry industry. He was also the most enlightened person on the cruise industry because he was running a cruise company before and on the top of that company he sold it and in a few years again the same person was the one who had the vision and the dream to build the best ships, the best ferries in the world. So was not, let's say, uh, some group of people who was thinking to to do high-tech vessel. It was just a person. Sometimes just a person can make a, a revolution. And I believe Panagopoulos was the one who forced all Europe to think uh, ahead was the person who, who, who gave, you know, the boost, all the companies to build up high-speed vessels, sophisticated vessels with the cargo intake and excellent passenger services. Yeah, this was not my original plan, but uh, since you mentioned uh, <laughs> the, uh, the, the, the ship owner, would you like to um, develop that a little bit? And is he still around? Uh, is he still the owner of the company? Uh, unfortunately, he passed away two years ago. It was a big loss for the shipping industry. Uh, I can say that many people is following his, uh, let's say, his vision. I know that uh, still his uh, son, Alexandros, is uh, around on the shipping industry. A lot of people, you know, still the super fast ferries, Blue Star ferries, is the, the biggest company in Greece. Actually, now is uh, merged with Hendrix uh, Seaways, forming maybe the biggest company in Europe with uh, ferries. Still, there are a lot of people, but I can say none of them 
uh, have you know this image so to be you know famous to everybody still there are some progress we had the economic crisis in Greece and especially we had last year the coronavirus which caused a lot of problems i really i don't know when we are going to recover in order to see again uh, modern ships in Greece and i believe in general in Europe when we are going to see this you know boost of uh, new and modern ships the recent the, the, the following years was was this uh, all these heavy investments in, in in the new ships back then was that from your point of view successful because from what i've seen all those well if if not all most of them built in germany were, were sold to other shipping companies uh, yeah within 10 years of delivery you know panagopoulos uh, was an ex- extremely smart businessman he, when he had visions he was giving you know his best and uh, he was hiring the best qualified uh, people on the office on the, the ships to fulfill his dream but he was also very smart when the companies even with the cruise company he had before even with the super fast ferries he moved later when the company was on the top of the market he was selling it the company in the ships on extremely high prices when the ships was still young when the company was extremely profitable he was choosing to sell and i think this is the best period don't forget they are they are running a business they want to make money and just i believe that he was a little bit older to make a third movement which uh, i believe he had more years on his life he will make a third movement in some different factor sector or i don't know something similar i don't know i believe you know the companies was sold when was on their peak and not when uh, because they had some problems when everything was running excellent and it was really really very smart from his side uh is there anything you would like to add before we uh finish the interview uh, just uh, i want to tell you thank you very much uh, i was really very pleased uh, i want to tell you that i moved from the ferry sector and uh, now i'm working on the cruise ships uh, i'm currently as i told you in china my company sunstone Uh, Miami is uh, they are building 10 expedition ships with um, Xbow system my company sent me here to 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 get um, the second and the third of uh, that ship the Ocean Victory and the Ocean Explorer I'm going to work on the Ocean Explorer for uh, Vantage cruises I will be very happy in summer time I hope everything will be perfect, much better than the last summer, much better from the last year. I will be very happy next summer uh, to visit my ship, Ocean Explorer, who will be in North Europe. And later on, we are going to move in America and uh, Antarctica. Oh, that's uh, a really nice uh, way to finish off the interview. So uh, thank you, Apostolos, for participating. And uh, yeah. Uh, good luck with your future career aspirations. Thank you very much. I appreciate. Yeah, thank you very much, Apostolos. Very well done. Thank you very much.